millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 87 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Good morning. It's Tuesday, 13th of September. On the programme this morning, the fallout from the latest documents published under the Freedom of Information Act relating to the emergency department at Our Ladies Hospital, Navan. There have been a growing number of reports of hate crimes in Ireland over the past few years, and yet there's no legislation to protect the minority communities impacted by these crimes. Most businesses in the country that could benefit from state-backed funding or grant schemes are being put off by red tape and bureaucracy. The EU Energy Commissioner has said managing energy demand will be key to avoiding blackouts in Europe this winter, and citizens, they'll have to play their part. And the Fianna Fáil Think-In is in full swing in Mullingar. If you want to contact us this morning, you can WhatsApp or text 86 658 You're with Alan Cantwell in for Michael Reid on The Michael Reid Show for the next two weeks. The Taoiseach has poured cold water on recommendations of reform to inheritance tax. The Commission on Taxation has said the amount that children can be left by their parents should be significantly reduced. At present, children can inherit up to €335,000 before having to pay tax at 33%. The Taoiseach Michal Martin made his comments ahead of the Fianna Fáil think-in in Mullingar. Separately speaking about the budget, he said the government will move to protect people with the cost-of-living package. He said we are now looking at prices increasing in energy, the likes of which we've never seen before, even in the terrible crisis of the 70s. Joining us this morning is Fianna Fáil Minister of State for European Affairs, Thomas Byrne. Minister, thank you for joining us this morning. Before we get to the Fianna Fáil thinking, if I could perhaps just draw your attention, and I know you have seen the documentation that was released under the Freedom of Information Act pertaining to Our Lady's Hospital in Navan. Two particular letters that I want to focus on in a moment. But first, can I ask you straight yes or no, is it your view that the emergency department is gone? No, the emergency department won't be gone. Uh, and that's the sort of talk that's gone on for the last while. Uh, if services are rearranged, it will actually mean that more people uh, would be using Navin Hospital. But we're not going to do anything 
until this review is carried out, which has been carried out by all of our eminent consultants and scientists across the board. And what I want, and I think what the people want, uh, is unity among them, common purpose. How best do we protect the health of the people of Mead, the people of the North East? Navin Hospital plays a huge role, not just in Mead, but throughout the North East um, for, for various services. That will continue. Um, but we want to make sure that the um, treatment, the care there is as safe as possible. Now, you talk about treatment and care being as safe as possible, so let me then draw your attention to the letter which was written uh, by Anita Brennan, the hospital manager. And I'm not going to read the full letter, just top and tail it. We'd like to draw your attention to yet another critical incident that occurred in the emergency department of the hospital. Last line in it, the inevitable consequences of these repeated critical incidents is patient deaths. That's pretty serious. That smacks of uh, a department that cannot cope with serious emergencies and patient care. And that's that's what the doctors have been saying to us. And that letter is not just signed by the hospital manager. It's signed no, it's by, not. Yeah. Uh, Jerry McEntee signed it, I think, and I think the director of nursing as well, uh, and maybe some other people too. And by the way, can I say about this freedom of information request? We had this debate with Michael a few weeks ago where a number of these documents were refused under the Freedom of Information Act. I said politicians have no role, but I advise Michael and the show uh, to appeal that decision. And I'm glad that you did and that these documents have come out on appeal. I think that's really, really important um, that, you know, that there's as much transparency as possible. And that's a pretty blunt letter for Minister for Health to get. And the idea that we simply ignore that, as I think some people are suggesting by saying there's no problems whatsoever, I think is wrong and a disservice to the people of the county. And then there's another letter there um, which again shows the, the position of the Minister for Health. I think the, the letter, mm. the, I think it's the 30th of June or the yeah. 1st of July of the Minister for Health, where he's going through the issues, writing the HSE, and he's not just talking about the risks in Navin, which he accepts, but he's also talking about what the consultants in Our Lady of Lourdes have said, which is that they're worried about capacity in Our Lady of Lourdes. Uh, and indeed, I'm sure the situation is the same in Connolly and Blanchardstown. So, what we've got now is with this review, which is all of the medics from Navin. Uh, Our Lady of Lourdes, um, Blanchestown, and, and various uh, health people, nurses, etc., uh, senior uh, clinicians in the HSE, all coming together to forward what is the best pathway for all of the people of this county. This isn't about closing services. This isn't about you know this nonsense that A2 come out with, which is about defeating the people and me, they're all this sort of stuff. It's, it's, that's not what's going on. What's going on is a rational discussion about how do we save lives in need, how do we give the best possible health care uh, to the people in need. And I'm absolutely convinced that people know people want the best possible health care. They know that Navin Hospital will provide a lot of that health care, but the truth is for people all across the North East that they use a range of hospitals, whether that's Our Lady of Lourdes, the Dock, Blanchardstown, the Matter, Beaumont, other hospitals as well. Uh, so healthcare provision in Ireland is is complex, but it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, can can I just it, ask you, uh, Minister, we're talking about a review that's been undertaken towards the back end of this process because it's a process that's been going on for quite some time now. Would it not have been prudent politically and from a business perspective to carry out a review before any decision was made on the basis of what should happen at the emergency department and decide whether or not it was prudent to put money into it or, you know, go down the road which we were going down at the moment? Well, well, actually, I mean, I agree that a review is prudent now. Maybe should have been done before now. But what happened was that the board of the HSE uh, made a decision uh, that this process would start without doing the review. It was uh, Minister Donnelly that, first of all, halted this process uh, and then said, no, let's do a review. Let's listen to all of the doctors. Um, we think that each of them is vitally important. 
Uh, and I think what we need for public confidence in the system and to ensure that every hospital, including Navin, has the resources necessary to deal uh, with, with what presents, then we have to have consensus and we have to have resources. And that's what we want to do. And there needs to be public confidence in that. And I think if we can get all of the doctors, I hope, coming to a consensus opinion on this review, let's see, we can't, we can't preempt the review, uh, then uh, there will be, I think, a lot more confidence in the public about healthcare uh, in this region. Okay, well, uh, the, the Minister left us in no doubt that he wanted this review to happen quickly. He was talking about weeks as opposed to months or years. So are you any closer to understanding when this review will be completed and when we will, the public, get eyes on that particular review? Well, it's ongoing now for, for weeks, really, um, I think you can say. And I was talking to the Minister of Health yesterday and we expect that to finish relatively quickly, um, but I don't have an exact date. Okay, Minister. Let's just press on and talk a little bit more about Fianna Fáil. Think-in is underway in Mullingar. On the fringes of that think-in, was there any talk about the future of your leader and Taoiseach Micheál Martin? Sure, everybody's asking us, including yourself just there now. Uh, But Micheál Martin is the Taoiseach. Uh, Under the programme for government, he will be the Taunashta at the end of this year. I think the government has shown that it is capable of delivering. We delivered during covid and uh, there's a lot of challenges facing this country. We'll deliver again, I have no doubt, in this cost of living crisis. Uh, we have the housing challenge as well, which is our big focus. Uh, and indeed health. That's what we were talking about yesterday, all of these issues that really, really matter to people. I think the focus should be on what we're doing, how we do it. Are, you know, we've, we've lots of good ideas. Are there other ideas? This is the sort of discussion that we're, we're having. Okay. I think the personalities distract from that. Quite yeah, but, but nonetheless, you must accept that there are there is a growing rump within the um, uh, within the party that are asking those questions. They're looking to the future. They want to know what the future holds for the party. Well, look, I think we, we had a really good discussion last night um, by Brian Cody. He, he, he gave a talk, actually, about, about winning, about teamwork. I think he's somebody who's uh, pretty much an expert on that, and that was really, really useful. And this is what thinkings are about. Like, How do we work best together to serve the public and to produce the best possible policies to deal uh, with the challenges that we face. So that's that's what most people's focus is on. Um, I, there's always people in any political party that don't agree or don't you know, support the leader or whatever. That always happens. But quite frankly, I think almost everybody's entire focus is on uh, how do we address the problems. And the cost of living crisis clearly should be and is Okay, I will come to that. Yeah, I will come to that, Minister, but perhaps you may want to comment on a piece uh, which was written by Daniel McConnell and uh, uh, Keira Phelan. Fianna Fáil is sleepwalking into an election disaster and is failing to address its identity crisis, party backbenchers have said. Is that the reality? No, because if you look at, say, this, the, the both opinion polls of the weekend, and there's, there's a difference between these polls all the time, but we're up in both of them. We're up to 24% in the Sunday Times Behaviour Analogies poll, um, which is an in-person poll. Um, so I, I think what you've seen is, is, is huge improvement. We were down quite low just after the last election. Uh, and what we've seen is big improvement since then. Why? Uh, because we delivered on COVID. We've one of the best outcomes in the world in terms of COVID, in terms of the government response and the public response. Housing is more is more is slower, but we are certainly delivering on housing. There's a lot more housing being provided. We had a good discussion yesterday about our new affordable home scheme as well, which is for uh, all sorts of people looking uh, to get their their first ho- home in particular. Um, and we're now looking at the cost of living crisis. And I think that we've shown that we can deliver. And I think the people would expect us to deliver 
uh, on the cost of living crisis. And I think that we can in a way that will will beat the answers of, of many okay. other countries. Well, well let's so, talk let's talk a little bit about that, Minister. And I don't expect you to to tell us what's in the budget uh, in a fortnight's time. But people are looking for a degree of certainty and confidence as we head into the winter when it comes to the bills that they have going are going to pay around uh, uh, energy. Now, we're hearing different, I suppose, propositions being put on the table. Are we going to get sufficient funds or subvention from the government to get us through the winter? I think so. But first of all, can I say that I don't think anybody uh, can, get, can offer certainty on, on this situation. So anyone who comes on and says that they, that, that they can offer certainty, I think, is really not telling the truth. Well, confidence then. Well, our confidence. There's a man in Moscow who's turned off the gas tap to Europe as a result of the prices uh, going up uh, to absolutely unprecedented levels in a failed market. That's what we're dealing with at the moment. And I think we're, we're starting to deal with that uh, in the most effective way possible. So what are we doing? What's on the table now in terms of getting support to people in this particular crisis? Well, the way the electricity market is set up, the electricity prices linked to the gas prices. That is a problem. In, in the ordinary course of events, it's not a problem because it encourages all sorts of renewable uh, solar, wind out in the sea and all that to, to be built and we do need that and will ultimately reduce prices. What we're going to do now is I think at a European level is take off the excess profits uh, excess revenues really that a lot of these companies are making because they're, they don't have huge costs coming in once they build a thing and then we're going to redistribute that to the member states that we can then give to the people in their bills. So, so that will in Ireland's case I think generate a lot of money give back to people in terms of their bills. We're looking at capping the gas prices, negotiations going on uh, with Norway as well. Norway now provides more gas to Europe than Russia, including to Ireland. So these are really, really important interventions. And what we'll find in the budget is, first of all, we have a massive surplus uh, in our budget. We have billions of euro more taken in from tax than going out and spending. Why? Because we've been able to manage the economy really, really well, attracting... Yeah, we get that, but nonetheless, we still have to exercise a degree of prudence. If we hadn't managed the the economy well over the last couple of years, we wouldn't have those taxes coming in. So they're there now. And then we will also have the money then coming off the, basically, the unnatural profits uh, that energy companies are making. They will then be redistributed, really, through the governments uh, to people that need them. And I think what you'll see now in terms of the budget, there's a real plan as to how to do that. Okay, what about business? I mean, I'm going to be speaking to IBEC in the next 10 or 15 minutes, and I've no doubt that they will be asking the question, what are you doing for business in Ireland? Are we going to get some supports akin to what we got during COVID? Can you shed any light on that? Well, look, the discussions are still ongoing, but we we gave huge support to business uh, during COVID and kept businesses afloat, kept jobs afloat. And you can be absolutely under no doubt that that's what we're going to do again. Uh, we, we are definitely going to do that again. Um, the, the, way, the exact way of doing it hasn't yet been determined. What I think we've all found out is that the electricity market, the energy market, is extremely complex to deal with. Uh, and again, anybody that comes on and says there's an easy answer to this, there isn't. Uh, but there's been a huge amount of work done over recent weeks to try and get this right, try and make sure we have the money. We do have the initial amount of money because we run the economy well, but to make sure that that's sustainable over the winter. And we're very lucky at the moment. I think for, for, for people living in their homes that the heating hasn't really been a feature so far, that will change. But I do acknowledge uh, what business has been going through. We in Ireland are proud of 
supporting business, of attracting business into the country. Why? Because that creates loads and loads of jobs. Okay, well, and, and we're going to continue to do that. Well, well, prior to the summer recess of the Doyle, we were talking somewhat in a vacuum because we didn't really know where things were going and the figures we were talking about has acceler- have accelerated quite significantly now that we are heading back after that break and they could potentially change again and shift. So is there a, resi- I suppose, resignation on the part of the government that we will see substantial casualties in the business sector? I mean, I'm going to be talking to a small business owner in the next few minutes who is showing me an ESB bill that they have to pay, which is astronomical and unsustainable. Look, I think I think you will see a range of support uh, from the government uh, to business uh, in the coming weeks in the budget. That 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 is happening. That will happen. We want to get it right. Uh, we there's lots of ways of doing this, but it's it's very very complex. Uh, but we've shown before that we can do it, and we are doing it, and will do it in this case. And we have the money to do it. Uh, we have to get things right at the European level as well, uh, because we don't have full control. Uh, over the energy market but I think that once we get these supports in place uh, at the budget time once we get this you might call it a windfall tax on all these energy producers that will produce a lot of money that we will then be able to redistribute to businesses okay. and to families and that is coming and the government is keeping on top of this and the Fianna Fáil thinking is entirely focused on this including my own role as EU minister my entire focus is on the cost of living crisis and how the EU uh, can help with that Okay, uh, if I may, just in in the context of your ministerial portfolio, perhaps look at what's happening in Northern Ireland today. King Charles III will be paying a visit. He'll be flying in around about noon or thereabouts. Now he, we know he's he's above politics or interfering in 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 politics. But do you suspect that his sheer presence in the North may give individuals a nudge politically in the right direction? I don't know. I mean, look, I think the focus uh, is on the death of Queen Elizabeth. I think everybody's focused on that. I think it is clearly um, a very, very difficult time uh, for British citizens uh, who revered Queen Elizabeth. I think it's also been acknowledged by Irish people, uh, North and South, uh, what an important figure Queen Elizabeth was. Uh, And I think that we as a government and we as a people, I think, have shown uh, collective respect uh, in terms of her death. And I think that's what the focus would be. Queen Elizabeth did a huge amount uh, in terms of the peace process, in terms of just normalising things, coming over uh, to speak Irish, coming over to mm. lay a wreath at the Garden of Remembrance, which remembers Irish people who died uh, for Irish freedom. Uh, so there's a huge amount done uh, by the royal family and any difficulties we've ever had with the British government, we never had them with the royal family, certainly in recent years. Okay. Um, so we would we welcome uh, this visit today, uh, but it is very much in the context of, of paying respect uh, to the deceased Queen. Care to comment on what Mara Setkovich was saying? I think it was in the London Times a number of days ago around the whole border issue and 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 customs that, that may be an opportunity where there's a regal room to try and resolve this. Well, look, I think we've shown that there's an open door. The, there's a negotiating table there ready. We're waiting to talk to the British government. It's been kind of on hold with the with the election of the Tory leader. It was on hold before that um, with the Northern Ireland elections. Uh, there's certainly a window of opportunity here. And I think you've seen from the entire European Union, from the flags at half-mast at the European Commission to President Macron's incredible uh, letter to the British people it was so well written. And the respect we've shown here uh, that Europe very much sees Britain as a friend, not an enemy as a country that not only do we want to work with, but that we need to, particularly in our case, for the peace process. Uh, And let's hope uh, that the British government, the politicians, uh, see sense 
uh, and come to the table. And I think that we can lead the entire uh, of Northern Ireland to a better future. Minister, just before I let you go, um, I know you probably don't want to indulge in the realms of speculation, but politically, if we see a situation play out where Sinn Féin perhaps will hold the balance of power in the next general election, would you see them as worthy bedfellows in order to form a government? No, if you look at the, the opinion polls for the weekend, I mean, in the Sunday Times poll, the three government parties, I think, were 50%. Sinn Féin was 35 and the Red Sea poll, I think, was 40% versus 35 So the government parties collectively are uh, ahead of Sinn Féin. Now, we're not going into any election together or collectively. We'll be putting forward our own agendas. Uh, but there's certainly um, more people want the type of politics that we're espousing, which is you know, acknowledging there are problems, trying to get solutions to them, letting people know that sometimes they're a little bit complex and that there aren't easy answers, versus the people that, Sinn Féin, for example, the ones that believe there's an easy answer for every single problem and that all it means is that you shout people down or that you, 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 you say this, that and the other and suddenly you fix the problems. Our housing programme is providing for a lot more houses than Sinn Féin have ever promised. Um, our, our response uh, on, the, on the vaccination, I don't think Sinn Féin could have done it. Our response on the Ukraine crisis goes against everything that Sinn Féin has stood for for the last 10 years in terms of their support for Russia. Um, I think the public in Ireland will look very hard at what the choices are available to them at the next election. They will okay. say that they want practical politicians who are going to deal with the problems that they, that, that they face. And I think the housing and health are going to be the biggest issues. Hopefully it will be over the cost of living crisis by then. And they are the problems that we are entirely focused on at this Fianna Fáil thinking. Very good. We leave it there. Minister Thomas Byrne, thank you for joining us this morning. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Welcome back to the programme. If you want to get in touch with us, our text or WhatsApp, it's 86 Now, if you're just joining us uh, and you missed uh, Minister Thomas Byrne speaking to us in relation to the Fianna Fáil thinking... The energy crisis was very much top of his agenda and he spoke about the supports that will be available, not just for consumers, but for businesses. And one particular business owner, Denise Lynch, owner of Woolworks Shop in Drogheda, got a major shock when she opened her bill, which is usually for two months around about €840. What would you think it was this time round? Well, what was it, Denise? Um, It was €3,200 for the two months and like to say we had a shock was an understatement you know like I was nearly crying when I saw it because I just don't know how we're going to do it and going forward into the winter when we're going to have the heating on like the heaters plugged in it's going to be much more so I just don't know what's going to happen Tell me about your shop why did you start it up when did you start it up and how successful has it been Okay so we opened Woolworks in October 2019 Um, the plan myself and my sister opened it together because uh, we loved crochet and we said we'd sit and we'd crochet all day long Um, turns out that doesn't happen because we don't get a minute to sit down because we're business minded people Mm -hmm. and we like to give back to the community so we ended up expanding when people came to us wanting something we said we can never say no so we'd do it so we were selling wools and fabrics um, then COVID happened in March and everything went into lockdown. So that was a just on, just on that. How did you um, manage during lockdown? Did you have an online presence um, or just Facebook? We really just done a true Facebook um, because I'm not really good with the internet. All I can okay. do is Facebook. But um, we were the first ones making masks in the town, and we were behind closed doors making masks, and we were delivering them to people. We donated hundreds of masks to different services, to the hospital, to the guards, to different community groups. Like t- we actually. T- thousands of masks we donated but um we were just making we were making masks like we're the first ones doing it so 
Now, if, if you look at those figures, margins are pretty tight in business. Massively, um, yeah. So you have to really cut things to the bone. And when you're mm-hmm. looking at a jump from 840 to 3,200, that's now. No. But what is it going to be like in December, January and February? No idea. There's a real possibility that you're going to have to look at closing your shop unless the government can give you the necessary finance to get you over that hump. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I can't, I don't know where I'm going to get an additional like two and a half grand a month. Like if someone comes in to buy a ball of wool off me, they can get a ball of wool off me for the minimum would be two euro. Like there's a certain wool we sell for two euro if you're buying 10 balls. But I'm buying that wool for 160 two I think it is that I'm buying that for I'm selling it for two euros so there's not much of a markup on wool like out of that I have to pay my rent my rates Rates. my staff my insurance um, my supplier um, everything and now these massive bills you know people people do come in and they'd say sometimes say oh that might be a bit expensive but when you break down they don't realise the costs behind things you know and now with these bills it's forefront on everyone's mind Mm -hmm. you know like everything has gone up it's shameful on the government like to allow this to happen because the cost of electric has gone up energy the cost of goods have gone up and there's also a reduced spend because the cost has gone up for everyone not just me as a retailer but you as a, yeah, a consumer. So if we look at that figure of €3,200 and what you were paying the 840 so the difference between the two of those even if the government cut that by 50% be still a bit of a, a struggle for you, wouldn't it? Massive. But even at that, the VAT on that yeah. is massive. Like the VAT on that, I think, is like near like 700 euro. That's now I know as a business that gets thrown back into the wheel and it comes yep. back in roundabouts. But you're still having to fork it out up front before it comes back in your taxes at the end of every two months when your taxes are done and stuff. But like, it's, it's just crazy. I, I don't know where we're going to get it from. Is there anything you can do as a business to adapt in order to try and circumvent that 3,200 euro go online for example well you see we are we are trying to get our website up and going properly we did receive the there is a grant available for that we did get a voucher from um, the Chamber of Commerce and Loud County Council we got that up and going but we never really used it because myself and Amory and our work staff like we're all very hands on we like to meet the people We're, we're a very family um, run business, family oriented. We like people to come in and talk to us. We talk to people and we do bring a lot to West Street and a lot of people just come in for a chat and a cup of tea because believe it or not, people have come in and they've been offered soup in our place. If we're having our lunch, like we'll go down and make soup for people. And But, but you know, I mean, that that's laudable as well. But you are a business owner. Yeah. You have to survive and make money. And people listening to this will say, well, maybe you missed a trick by not, you know, going aggressively online during yeah. COVID and you'd be in a much healthier position now that you'd be able to expand your business further yeah. and you wouldn't be, well, as concerned about the money that's yeah. coming in. Yeah, I've actually just completed a workshop through Le, um, the Drada Chamber with the Leo Enterprise. Local and Enterprise office, yeah. yeah. the local Enterprise office and Orla McDonald has been absolutely fantastic. I did a two-hour Zoom meeting with her yesterday and I've applied for extra time with her to help us get our website up and going because as I'm not technically minded. I'm terrible. So I, I'm a pen and paper. Like I can do Facebook. I can do TikTok. That's it. Um, so I do be relying on other people to help me and to do all that kind of stuff. I need to learn if the, if the business goes, as, as you stated, it'll have an impact on the community Massive. because it's, it's, it's a hub, if nothing else, for people really to, come, to come and talk. But for yourself, where does yeah. it leave you? Well, I don't know. 
I don't know. I'll be sitting at home crocheting, won't I? Crocheting socks because I won't be able to put the heating on. <laughs> I'll send you a pair. <laughs> and just in relation to the actual premises you are in at the mm-hmm. moment, would you consider that to be well insulated? Not at all. Not so at all. any heat that goes on goes out the walls of the windows? Straight out. Like it's an old building that like to, to heat up the place, we have to plug in heaters like, you know, the fan heaters and that in the summertime we, when it's really hot, we'd plug in a fan to cool the place down. But um, no, it's not insulated at all. So the, the the heat just goes straight out the door. What are the other businesses saying that you've been talking to? Oh, exactly the same. I've been in contact with them all. I've been in contact with um, Trevor from Bids. I've been talking to, I was talking to him yesterday evening. Um, Justin and Callahan's Butchers, um, Gwen from Stockwell and Sonia. Same story. Same counts. story. And they're just dreading getting their bills. And I know there's a place over towards the end of Narrow West Street and they got a massive bill. It's um a new place that does nails and that Harry's and their bill was well over 2,000 euros you know like and they wouldn't have all they'd have would be their lighting on you know so it's not justifiable you know we do have sewing machines on down the back up until 4 o'clock so there is a bit of machinery running not massively but um, it still shouldn't be crazy and they're all very worried and rightly so would you anticipate a situation where some businesses, including yourselves, may have to close temporarily over over the winter? Or is that sustainable for you? Would you be able to I come back know. then in the first quarter of next year? Well, you see, our shop is like, what we do is a destination shop. People will come from other parts of the country because it's wool, it's fabrics, it's a tactile thing. They like to come in and feel and see and smell nearly the fabrics and all that. Uh, we had one lady come in one time, an older lady, and she came in she's like, oh my God, this is great. It's like a porn shop for old people. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, you mean it's like a sweet shop for kids? <laughs> but so we would be a destination shop and we do have a lot of people come to okay. us from over the country. But um, I would encourage everyone to please try and shop local more now than ever, you know. Well, we shall await. The budget is two weeks from today. We'll get yeah. a better understanding of what supports are going to be in place yeah. for, for businesses such as your own. But Denise, owner of Woolworks Shop and Drada. Thanks for joining us. Thanks a million, Alan. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Welcome back to the programme. Most businesses in Ireland that could benefit from state-backed funding or grant schemes are being put off by red tape and bureaucracy associated with applying for such schemes. That's according to a new survey of entrepreneurs and founder-led enterprises by employers group IBEC. Majority of respondents, 60%, said the availability and access to tax incentives such as capital gains tax employment relief and investment incentives or research and development tax credit was poor or very poor. Joining us this morning is Sharon Higgins, IBEC Executive Director of Membership and Sectors to discuss this and other issues facing businesses as we head into the so-called winter of discontent. Sharon, good morning to you. Uh, A blight on businesses, bureaucracy, nothing really has changed or has it? Well, it's interesting. I think if you look over a long period of time, obviously things are changing and there's lots of new um, uh, activities being put in place to support companies, but it's a constantly changing environment. So we really need to make sure that we were constantly reviewing and revising that environment. And one of the things we found um, recently is we've been doing a lot of work with our founder companies across our various trade associations. So medtech, pharma, um, engineering uh, and tech, obviously, as well, in, in particular, and looking at them. And they would have said that 38% of them have indicated that the business environment has disimproved over the last three months. So that isn't surprising. I suppose the environment has changed for most companies. But for these these fledgling companies that are that are beginning to grow and hopefully growing into very large companies, including companies such as Delata, so with Pat McCann speaking at an event yesterday with us, so these companies range from very small startups right through to very large organizations. And 
they are founder-led. They're led by people, individuals who come up with really good ideas and they need support to act on those. So right now, yes, we've seen that there are, as you've indicated, those particular issues that are that are out there for these companies. And um, we've brought together our members to look to see how best we can support them or the government can support them. And, and indeed, they can support themselves. Now, is that bureaucracy rooted, I suppose, in a changing landscape from within different departments who decide to make changes and sometimes those changes aren't communicated in a speedy enough manner for businesses to act upon them that they then have to go back and do a phenomenal amount of research before they can go through the processes in order to try and get those grants or supports. Yes, so I think, you know, you you have to imagine these are individuals who have a really good idea and um, they're not experts in everything, and they're certainly not experts in all of the funding mechanisms that are out there. So there is definitely an element of just really understanding the environment and knowing where to go and how to go there. And the development agencies, um, particularly Enterprise Ireland and the, the local, the LEOs, are, are very much there to support. But nonetheless, I always uh, say, if you can imagine you're a, com- a company based in, in Louth, um, you're not near Dublin, you're not near the city centres, or indeed, I, I generally say Killybegs or Killarney, um, you know, it can be quite difficult to access these and understand them. So there certainly is it's something about just really understanding and, and getting access to these supports. But there's, there's a bit more than that. So I think, um, so looking particularly as you brought it up there, um, Alan, it's that whole area of the, the tax and the funding environment that's there. So we believe there's some more work to be done to really get that tax mix right and also to make it very clear, again, over a period of three years, so three to four years. So we, w- we were recommending that we put an SME roadmap in place uh, uh, to support these um, companies so that they really understand what's going to happen over a period of time. So as you said, things aren't changing. There's real clarity around those. But equally then within that, that we're putting in place um, an ambitious series of tax reforms to support those companies on that roadmap. So there's things that need to be done around corporate gains tax, employee incentive and investment schemes, keep schemes, other schemes like that that are there that can help to support the companies. And generally, I suppose, again, pursuing a real tax simplification model. And um, and with that, so when all of these are in place, that companies can get uh, ensure that they're really getting paid efficiently and in a timely manner when they do access these so that they're not waiting for long periods of time. Um, in order to do that. So there's, there's quite a lot in there. Yeah, you mentioned the LEOs, the local enterprise um, offices. Is there an argument for their supports to be bolstered and enhanced in order to try and make that uh, job of work to get through that red tape and bureaucracy for companies to be enhanced in some shape? Yeah, I think, again, it's around ensuring that we're targeting the supports in the right way. And uh, the LEOs are certainly very close to those companies on the ground. Um, and equally Enterprise Ireland. So whatever it takes, um, and again, looking to that entire roadmap and the ecosystem around these companies to ensure that they get access to those as quickly as possible. So the LEOs are very well positioned to do that. Um, but I suppose, there, again, there's a broader piece around all of all of the, uh, the supports that are required, and that would be around that ecosystem. So we're advocating, again, for the ecosystem to really enable founder-led enterprises. So the funding... Of, spoken about to a certain extent there but there's also you know really scaling up public investment and innovation and research so that again these companies can access that and ensuring that they've got the the appropriate supports again that's the ecosystem piece the broad ecosystem and the R&D tax credits and again 
you know, we're seeing that the companies are finding it difficult at times to get access to those and to really understand them. Um, one in four are saying that they're particularly finding that difficult. So even though there's a lot of supports there, that awareness isn't always there. So again, the LEOs, other organisations like that can support in that. Um, uh, Sharon, if, if I could just maybe um, digress slightly and discuss the, the current situation facing many businesses at the moment as we're coming into winter and the cost. And we're he- hearing not just anecdotal evidence of the bills that businesses are faced with in relation to energy, but we know that it's going to get worse for them. We're in the process of framing a new budget. We know IBAC is a very powerful lobby. Is there anything that you can tell us that you've got back from the government that would alleviate the, I suppose, angst that many companies are going to feel in the coming months? Are you going to get what you think you need in order to survive? Well, there's a huge amount of work going on at the moment and there's uh, to really make it clear what's happening around the, the, the energy ecosystem as it's one that's particularly uh, being called out there. So on the one hand, you have you have a, a supply issue, um, a security supply issue that's coming down the line. On the other hand, then there are huge costs that are coming down on on companies, whether they're founders, SMEs, or the very large companies. And and then there's obviously the whole wind energy and the carbon element that needs to be dealt with as well. So there's a lot of different things happening there around the the energy piece, and we're certainly advocating around all of those, around having that long-term strategy for energy security, supply strategy. And also looking at ways to ensure that there are really targeted supports being put in place um, for companies, particularly those that are going to be badly impacted. So are you looking at something, the supports akin to what we uh, saw being rolled out during the pandemic? Is that what you're looking at? Well, I I think it's around ensuring, yeah, that there are some targeted supports for companies uh, that that are going to basically... they'll be head underwater if the energy costs continue to impact on them. So, yeah, we're looking at those kind of targeted supports and particularly for those companies who are being heavily impacted. Okay, Sharon, we must leave it there. Sharon Higgins, IBEC Executive Director of Membership and Sectors. Thank you for joining us this morning. Michael Reed on LMFM. A report by Royal College of Physicians of Ireland, Policy Group on Tobacco, increasing the age to 21 years, is fundamental to achieving tobacco-free Ireland targets. A new report from the Royal College of Physicians of Ireland, Policy Group on Tobacco, is calling for the minimum age of sale of tobacco to be raised from 18 to 21. The Tobacco 21 report was developed from national and international evidence analysed by the Institute of Public Health. The report by the RCPI Policy Group says amending legislation to raise the minimum legal age for the sale of tobacco products in Ireland offers a proven approach to significantly reducing the number of teenagers and young adults becoming addicted to tobacco. Joining us this morning is John Mallon, spokesperson for Forest Ireland. John, good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. What's your view on this particular policy initiative? Uh, good morning, Karen, and thank you for the invitation. Um, I, I think it's uh, unnecessary, and I don't think it makes any difference. Uh, that they'd be my two immediate um, uh, observations. At eight- Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Eight years of age, you're an adult, rightly or wrongly. Uh, are we going to insist now that adults... Uh, 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 don't become adults until they're 21. Um, at 18, you can you can vote, uh, you can decide the next government, you can have sex, you can uh, join the army and carry a gun, you can drive a car, and of course you can go to the pub and buy drink if you want to. Um, now, all of those things have a risk associated with them, and we know that as adults ourselves. But you have to pick a point where you, you give a young person their head uh, to live their own lives. And they will make mistakes. We, we did at their age. We probably still do. We make decisions. We have the right to make them. Um, but we're talking about a legal product here, tobacco in the shops. Um, and we're talking about making it illegal. Uh, now, do it or don't do it. You know, this creeping prohibition uh, is not working. Uh, and and, and for, for the, the kids of 18 themselves, then think about them. Uh, you know, the, 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 the people who are, who are both strident in their views on anti-tobacco will tell you that most people took up tobacco at 12, 13 years of age. Now, how do they get them if it's illegal at 18 or before 18? You know, well, the, the world, in, in fairness now, come on, the world has shifted quite significantly since there, that there are not, checks and there is oversight in relation to younger people going in to dry, try and buy tobacco. I know myself, you're right, I started smoking at the age of whatever it was, 12 or 13, and it was easy enough to get cigarettes. Nobody asked you for ID. They were there in front of you. You got them, you walked out. And thankfully, I have no longer uh, had, the, had the need to, to smoke a cigarette. But... We are dealing with something that is a slow, painful, horrific killer that has to be stamped out. Not wanting to trample on anybody's democratic rights for freedom of choice to do what they want to do in life. But it carries with it such a health warning that it should be banned. Well, fair enough. That, that's a different debate. We're talking about 21 years of age. And what I'm suggesting to you is this smacks of politics rather than health 
uh, because anyone with a, with a brain in their head knows it won't make a difference. Um, we, have, we have illegal drugs in this country and half the country's taking them. Uh, and and they're, they're impossible to get. You can't buy them in any shop. Um, you have a massive uh, illicit tobacco trade uh, in this country. Uh, we, don't, we have no idea what the extent of it is. And you can, the, the children of 14, 15 can buy 20 cigarettes uh, from those people for, for tw- half the price. Yeah, sure. I, I, wonder, I wonder, John, if you sat down in front of somebody who's suffering from emphysema, lung conditions, inability to be able to put on their socks, their shoes, their clothing in the morning, to be able to walk up and down the stairs, what they would say to the arguments that you're putting forward. And I've no doubt that they also wanted to have freedom to choose what they wanted to have to do. But I wager in the majority of cases, they would have wished or given anything not to have gone down the road of smoking. Listen, that, that's a facetious argument. Well, no, it's not. No, no, hang on a second. Hold on a second. It is not a facetious argument. It is a relative salient argument in relation to the points that are being raised here. This is something that will kill you. And if you were to sit down in front of somebody in a wheelchair from a car accident... No, we're not. Uh, How can you possibly draw parallels with that? Reaction. No, no, no. This is... And you're personalising it now, and that, that really isn't fair. No, I'm not personalising. I'm simply point of trying to put a, an alternate argument to you for people who have gone down the road of smoking and who wish to God they'd never have done that. Well, then, then like I said, let's have the separate argument. Let's say ban them completely. Let's, you know, totally, 100%. You can't get cigarettes anywhere in the country. You'll you still get them. They'll be far more popular than they currently are. But let's try that. But, you know, this half and half or a bit here, a bit there, a lot of it, it, lot of it looks like politics. It doesn't look a bit like, like anything to do with health. If you wanted to help or if you wanted to prevent young people or tried to help to prevent young people from taking them up, then education is the answer. And it has always been the answer. We've argued that for, for the last 10 years we've been arguing it. But, but the government, whenever they look at smoking, never look at the idea of education. They always look at the idea of punishing the smoker. And, you know, that, that, that just isn't working any longer. And, in fact, I would suggest to you um, that, that, that making it illegal for somebody of 18 to get their hands on cigarettes would suddenly start making it a very okay. interesting, edgy thing to do yeah, okay. for somebody of 18. John, you know, John can I ask you what your organisation's foundation, its premise is? Was it organised to protect the rights of individuals to do what they want to do and make the choices they want to make? Are you there to say, yes, let's allow people to make choices, but let's educate them? What do you do to educate people who, who come to you or who you talk to about the dangers of smoking? Not without ramming it down their neck, that they, they, they shouldn't do it. Well, again, Kieran, you're personalising it. As a parent, I have two children. No, no, I said as an organisation, what is the premise of your organisation? The premise of the organisation is we're a freedom organisation. That's the okay. S in Forest, stands for freedom. Uh, the freedom to do things. Now, if but it's you don't illegal, advise, you don't advise people on whether they should or they shouldn't smoke. It's just a question of freedom of choice. The people who, who come to us or talk to us are already smokers. Right. So I can, for example, in my own case, I gave up cigarettes, and I gave up cigarettes using um, e-cigarettes. So when I talk to, to forest supporters about it, uh, I would tell them about my success, and I would tell them how I went about it, and, and you know, the, the, the mental uh, state of mind to get into to achieve it. I actually found it quite easy, surprisingly enough, after nearly 50 years of smoking, but <laughs> that's not the point. But I, we're not judgmental. 
and and smoking is legal um alcohol currently is legal uh, these things you can you can buy and you can buy them okay. as an adult at 18 can, can i ask you just from your own personal experience giving up the cigarettes and you you've to be applauded for doing that because it's a difficult thing to do i know myself uh, having gone through that particular process but are you going from the frying pan into the fire when you start vaping because vaping is a relatively new phenomenon that we don't have sufficient data on yet to try and establish whether it is a safe practice to engage in. Listen, taking medicines from a pharmacy isn't a safe practice. <laughs> if you look at the small print, no, <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, the, the, the difference between the vape, a lot of people are confused by it because it's called a cigarette. It isn't. Uh, I actually uh, insisted I bought one that looked like a cigarette. Uh, it was cigarette shaped and coloured, and they, they, you know the the the, uh, the filter part of it was, was where the um, was where the, the liquid was. But I used it for a period of time, and I would, I would the, the best analogy I can give you. It was like having a glass of Ribena, a nice glass, stock glass of Ribena, uh, instead of the glass of wine, which is what you wanted. It's red, it's a liquid, it quenches your thirst, you know, but it ain't wine. You know that kind of thing. So that's what the e-cigarette was by comparison to the ordinary cigarette. But what it did do is that each time you had an urge uh, to smoke a cigarette, you could use this thing and the urge would pass. Mm-hmm. And you just kept on doing it, okay. and the urges passed and passed, and they, and, and they became less and less. Now, it, it came to the point then where I had finished, I, I picked my date and finished smoking tobacco, and I looked at it and said, I don't really need this e-cigarette any longer. I don't like Ribena. I love smoking. I enjoyed tobacco. Yeah. I had a great time. I enjoyed it for years. As did I, John. As did but, I. Yeah, but, but I gave sure, it up it's a different reason yeah. than that was the way I did so, it. So but, you but, ask me what I would say yeah. to people, that's what I'd say. Okay, but, but John, can I ask you, do you now accept that you have perhaps done some serious damage to your body by virtue of the fact that you smoked for so long and have you accepted that it was a bad decision to embark on? It was a decision at the time that I made. And, you know, having said that, then, I was 14. So, so you know, is it a decision? Is it a decision at 18? Is it a decision at 21? Very often at these things, people will tell you they have peer pressure. Um, I have heard a lot of people on, on radio and television uh, talking about uh, being a non-smoker and, and going to clubs or going to whatever they go to and finding that all the smokers troop out uh, for a cigarette outside and all the fun is outside, so they've ended up going out themselves and having a cigarette just to be sociable. You know, uh, are they good decisions? We don't really think about things that okay. way. Okay, well, perhaps if I put the, frame, the, frame the question a little bit differently, and I wish you no ill will whatsoever, but... If later in life, in your autumn or winter years, that you find that as a result of smoking you have had major health difficulties, on reflection, would you then say, I wish I didn't do what I did? <laughs> well, listen, Kieran, I have, I have major health difficulties currently. I'm on a lot of painkillers because of a prescribed uh, tablet I was taking was causing me to black out. I know that, but we're talking about tobacco <laughs> know, and but, nicotine. But, but, you know, I made a decision to go and get, and get help for something and I got a tablet for it and it did me a lot of damage. Now, uh, th- this is the luck of the draw. Um, th- there are people, you know, I hear, I hear people saying, well, half of, of the smokers die from smoking. The other half don't. Um, and they have a life of enjoying it. 
Um, so far, I had I had a, a, an X-ray in my lungs because of, of something else uh, only a few years back, and I was told I had the, the lungs of a young man. And the, the radiologist actually said to me, "I can clearly see you've never smoked a cigarette." Okay, that's life. fine, but so it doesn't. You know, smoking doesn't necessarily equate to lung cancer. There can be other an amount of other cancers that can result from smoking. But I just put the question to you again: Is it something that you will regret doing? Or will you accept that was the wrong thing to do? No, no, I, I don't accept it. I'll tell you why. Because I enjoyed it at the time. But there was a time to give it up as well. There was a time to quit. You know, that, that's like asking, uh, that's like asking, do I regret taking the first uh, glass of alcohol because of such a thing as alcoholism? Um, I don't. Um, but it, it was life. And, and, and you lead your life differently. Everyone leads their life differently. We're not all the same. We all make our own decisions. Uh, so, no, I, I, and I don't think that's a particularly fair question here, to be honest. Well, well, I think it is a fair question because ultimately in the latter part of our lives we tend to reflect on the decisions that we made in our younger lives and perhaps say to ourselves, geez, you know, if I didn't do that or took this decision, maybe things would have uh, worked out differently. Yeah, well, I can think that about a lot of things if I'm looking back over my life. Um, but, but this morning we're discussing the idea of, of 21 versus 18. And like I say, it's politics. It's got nothing to do with okay. health. Let it, me it ask you. And it, it, could actually, it could actually rebound. It could have the opposite effect. OK, let me ask you about then the price of a pack of cigarettes. Um, I was taken by the fact, and I'm all for having the price of a packet of 20 cigarettes at a tight. If it was 50 euro, I'd be happy that it was up to 100 euro. But price point... Surely that is the way to get people to focus the minds. Well, what you're saying is that's the way to force people, um, to force them, to prevent them to do something that's legal, is it? Well, no, what I'm saying to you, it has certainly refocused my mind because of the price point of cigarettes some time ago when they started to escalate at an incredible rate. I said, hang on a second here. I am paying an organisation that is poisoning me and that is potentially going to cause to my imminent death a lot earlier than I wanted to. And that price price point made me reflect and made me stop pretty quickly. That's fine. That, that, and, that, and, and everyone has their own reasons, and I'm, I'm, I won't take that from you again. But the, the reality is that the, the, the increase in pricing has spawned an industry of criminals, of people who were involved in the drug trade, fellas who'd kill at the drop of a hat, uh, and instead of that, they discovered that the profitability uh, in, in, in uh, smuggling tobacco into the country uh, is far higher than, than, and than, than that of drugs, and it's less dangerous. So they're bringing in drugs by the hundreds of thousands, by the, the, by the truckload of it. Okay. Uh, and, and you see, that industry is spawned by, by the price differential, and they can actually afford to sell at half price and still make a fortune out of it. Right. John, that, we that's mu- what it's created. John, we must leave it there. John Mallon, spokesperson with Forest Ireland, thank you for joining us this morning. Michael Reed on LMFM. Welcome back to the programme. We will get through some of your comments between now and the end of the show. And if you want to contact us, we are on 086 1800 658. You can WhatsApp or text us on that particular number. Now, there have been a growing number of reports of hate incidents in Ireland over the past few years, and yet there's no legislation to protect the minority communities impacted by these crimes. The Coalition Against Hate Crime in Ireland, led by the Irish Council for Civil Liberties, has launched a new campaign, Hate Crimes Hurt Us All, designed to highlight the ripple effect of hate crime across the entire community. A survey carried out over the past week of more than 400 members of minority communities in Ireland reveals that 43% of respondents have experienced a 
hate crime or incident and 70% have heard or read about a hate crime or incident against a member of their community. To talk about this, we're joined by Luna Lara Leboni, Hate Crime and Equality Policy Officer with the Irish Council for Civil Liberties and Chair of the Coalition Against Hate Crime Ireland. Luna, good morning. You're very welcome to the programme this morning. Can I ask you first, what is a hate crime? Give me an example. Good morning. Good morning, Alan, and good morning, everyone. Uh, So when we talk about hate crime, uh, a hate crime will always have two elements. The first element will be a criminal offence, a regular criminal offence that can be an assault or damaged property. But the second element, which is what makes a hate crime a specific type of crime, is the bias motivation. So a hate crime will be a criminal act which is motivated by prejudice or bias. Okay, explain that to me more, please, if you wouldn't mind. The bias side of things. What do you mean by that? Absolutely. What I mean is that um, if I'll take myself as an example, Um, if I get assaulted, I can get assaulted for many different reasons. Okay, but if I get assaulted because I am perceived or I am myself um, a lesbian and it's clear Mm -hmm. that I'm being targeted, I'm being assaulted because of this specific feature of my identity, that will be a hate crime. Because that crime is not only a crime in itself, but it's sending me a message. And the message that that is sending me is that as a member of the LGBT community, in my case, I'm not welcome. I'm not welcome in Ireland and I shouldn't feel safe. So by virtue of me going out onto the street and recognising, for example, two women holding hands or kissing and me turning around and saying, sure, would you look at the state of the two of them? They're lesbians or this, that or the ever, whatever. That's a hate crime. That's a, that's a hate crime if okay. there is a criminal conduct. Yes. But by, by uttering those particular words without having any malice, by just saying you know, this is what I see, this is what I think. There has to be malice behind it, does there? There, there needs to be um, an intent. There needs to be, well, first of all, it's really not, it's, yes, it's about the malice, but there need to be those two elements, okay? So, so we will have hate crimes. There will have to be an offence, right. okay? A criminal offence. But if that offence is happening because you are targeting me because of my sexual orientation. So there will be malice, of course. There will be an intent to hurt me for who I am. That will be a hate crime. So why do the existing laws then fail as far as you're concerned when it comes to hate crimes? Because one would have presumed if there was malice and intent and there was a verbal attack, there is an offence to be answered to by the individual perpetrating that. So laws must exist in order to prosecute an individual. Yeah. So the way that laws at the moment fail is by not existing. So we do not have a crime legislation in Ireland at the moment. There's no specific provision. The hate element gets completely lost in the criminal justice system for the time being, uh, from the moment in which there is a report and the moment in which we have a sentencing. So the hate crime legislation, while with being introduced, would send a clear message to the communities and would help identify in a consistent way this element. Why do you think there has been such an increase in these particular crimes? Is it a, a sense of fear and acceptance on the part of 
I don't want to say ordinary people, but people who don't necessarily, who aren't part of a particular tribe that people who are, whether it be transgender, gay, lesbian or whatever, are part of. Is it fair? Um, it's, it's really not up to me to say, to explain why or to know why. Uh, but what I, can, what I can see, and that this is ultimately what we are looking at and what we are talking about as ICCL and as a coalition against hate crime, is that behind hate crime, behind a hate incident, there are roots of hate that we, na- that we need to tackle. And those roots of hate uh, have, in, in recognizing and tackling those roots of hate, what we're doing and what we have to do is to address the systemic patterns of intolerance. So we have to go beyond the single incident and we need to look at prevention measures. We need to look at awareness raising. We need to look at education, mm. monitoring, data recording. So what, are you saying that Irish people in the main, they are probably accepting of diverse cultures, religions, sexualities, whatever, but there is still a sizable cohort there that will not tolerate difference in any shape or form? There is, different, there is definitely uh, a perception of a rise in intolerance, I would say. And the question that I have in my mind, living in Ireland myself, is what do we want to live in a society in which so many people feel unsafe, in which so many people feel like they have to change the way that they present themselves to the world, uh, avoid neighbourhoods, uh, because hate crime or hate episode incidents have happened in, in those uh, neighbourhoods. Can you ex- explain to me or give me an example of how it is impacting the lives of those who are fearful of being different, are fearful of going places where they may be intimidated, where they may have crimes committed against them by virtue of them being different to normal society but whatever normal society is that's that's another conversation but but how difficult is is it for for people who have to have to live that life absolutely so um when when we talk about hate crime okay you don't have to experience a hate crime to fear that hate crime to fear that from happening so it's about what could happen to you uh, it's about what happens to you but it's also about what could happen to you uh, that pushes you in changing the way that you behave. So earlier you were mentioning, right, two people holding hands in the street. But if I know that two friends of mine, okay, two gay men were holding hands, walking down the street, and they've been attacked precisely for this, will I feel safe in doing the same in my Mm. daily life, Alan? I don't think so. And this is one of the examples in um, in which hate crime and hate and intolerance can uh, touch you as a member of a minoritized community. So we tend to talk about Ireland and the way it has evolved and changed over the past, we'll say, three decades as being a cosmopolitan country, a, a forward-thinking and accepting country. Have we got it completely wrong, do you think, in terms of the way we view ourselves? It's. I wouldn't say so. I wouldn't say so. Uh, I think that there has been a huge change in the society, but it's simply not enough. Uh, as long as there will be a hate episode, a hate crime, uh, it will be one too much. So uh, we should really focus on changing 
what needs to be changed still. And this is why, you see, we talk about legislation, but ultimately our main ask in this campaign is to uh, introduce a national election plan against hate crime and hate speech to tackle the roots of hate, to precisely answer to what you're saying. How, how can we be better? And this is why we have a petition that I would invite everyone to, mm. to sign for, for the Minister of Justice to commit to having such a systemic approach to live in the Ireland that, as you said, we want to live in. So is there an age differential in terms of who carries out or perpetrates these hate crimes because it strikes me and I have two daughters and, and they have their friends and I'm absolutely astonished by the level of knowledge they have and the acceptance they have of minorities, of people who are a little bit different from the mainstream and the acceptance that they have. That seems to be across the board when it comes to talking to, to younger people today but I get the sense that the older generation are perhaps not as forward-thinking as the younger generation. Would that be a fair assessment? I would say that it's cross-cutting. But again, we need to know more, you see. I I really think that we should know more about the motivations. What, What is behind a hate crime and hate crime conduct? And this is exactly what we should be looking at as part of a more comprehensive approach to fighting back hate crime. Okay. Um, do you have any, before I let you go, uh, Luna, do you have any sense of optimism that things will ultimately change? Leaving aside changes to legislation, but changes to attitude and the manner in which we embrace difference in this country, do you have any sense of optimism that it will change? We wouldn't be campaigning for this if we uh, didn't have a feeling that we could change society and we could change heart and minds. So I think that we need to be optimistic because we cannot fail so many people. So um, there can be change and I I would really encourage you to to take a stand with us for this. Very good. Luna Laura Leboni, Hate Crime and Equality Policy Officer with the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. Thank you for joining us this morning. Michael Reed on LMFM. Welcome back to the programme. Britain's new king, Charles III, will carry out a number of engagements in Northern Ireland today as part of his programme of visits across the UK. Accompanied by the Queen Consort, Charles will arrive at Belfast City Airport, where he will be greeted by the Lord Lieutenant of Belfast, Dame Fanula May J. O'Boyle, and Northern Ireland Secretary Chris Heaton-Harris. Joining us this morning for the latest on this and what we can expect during that visit is Peter McVeary, journalist with U105 in Belfast. Uh, Peter, good morning. Thank you so much for taking our call this morning. What can you tell us? Are things getting underway What in the next hour and a half or thereabouts? We are. I'm just standing outside Hillsborough Castle. Alan speaking to you and good morning. And the crowds have been gathering here since after six or half six this morning just through the historic village of Hillsborough, now known as Royal Hillsborough since the last year. And they've been keen to get a glimpse of the, of the King to pass on the condolences and to welcome him to Northern Ireland on his first visit as monarch, expected that, as you say, arrives at Belfast City Airport just for a, a short stop and then will be escorted in a cavalcade here to Hillsborough Castle. A number of formal meetings happening here at Hillsborough Castle. Uh, the first of those is with the newly installed Secretary of State for Northern Ireland after the, the Tory reshuffle. We then will have um, a private meeting with various political leaders from Northern Ireland and then, probably most significant of all, the message of condolence on behalf of the people of Northern Ireland will be passed on by the Speaker of the Assembly. And the Speaker of the Assembly, of course, still at this point in a suspended Assembly, 
is Alec Smasky. He's a senior Republican of many, many years. Um, again, you'll have seen, Alan, over the last couple of days, the, the tributes that were paid, including yesterday in the storm at the Sandy Chamber by Sinn Féin Deputy Leader and First Minister-designate Michelle O'Neill when she described uh, Queen Elizabeth as a woman who had been courageous and gracious mm. in what she had done, especially uh, you, over the last 20 years. Yeah, Peter, you just mentioned Alex Maskey there, and I've probably been around as long as you have and understand, you know, Alex Maskey's DNA, where he came from politically and otherwise, and it's quite a turn of events to have somebody like him delivering that uh, message of condolence to, to the new King of England, is it not? It is, and we're expecting the new King of England to, to, to respond with, with, with thanks. We haven't yet got a word of what exactly he's expected to say. I'm sure it'll be carefully choreographed as these things have been over the last number of years. I've been speaking to some of the crowds who were gathered here, Alan, and we've been walking along the line there and doing some vox pops, and the vast majority of people are very positive about how Northern Ireland has changed, where we're at, about the relationships, as they call it, North, South, and East and West, and everything that's happened since since the Queen's visit in 2011 to Dublin and then choosing to lay the wreath alongside Mary McAleese in the Garden of Remembrance and then in 2012 and when she came to Belfast and shook hands mm-hmm. with Martin McGuinness the then Deputy First Minister. A few dissenting voices here in Hillsborough are some people who, who, who still don't agree with um, Sinn Féin being in, in government that don't feel that Sinn Féin should be the people who are representing the people of Northern Ireland today and passing across that message. But the vast majority of people uh, here in Northern Ireland definitely seem to be reflecting that we're well, in a modern changed era. Of course, and, and Queen Elizabeth very much put down that marker, as you said, during her visit in 2011 and the handshake in 2012 with the late Martin McGuinness, and presumably King Charles III wants to continue that body of work that she began so many years ago. Yes, he, he, he's well known as someone, for example, who has um, spent a lot of time in Ireland. I think he's been here, according to an historian I listened to last night, every year since 2015. He, he comes both as part of duty and part of pleasure. Obviously, there will be issues there on, on either side. Uh, you have uh, the IRA who, who carried out the murder um, of his great-uncle, Lord Mountbatten, in Sligo. And on the other side of it, you have many people in Northern Ireland, especially up around Derry, um, who will highlight that... that, that um, as Prince George, and I think still as King, he was Colonel in Chief of the Parachute Regiment. They were associated with the, the killings that happened on Bloody Sunday. So, you know, everyone has, has, uh, has a history there, and that the conversation will be about how we all move forward to try and establish a brighter, better Northern Ireland. Okay, Peter, he's above politics. He won't engage in any shape or form in what's going on. But do you think his visit may help or be a catalyst to nudge people forward who are somewhat entrenched in positions? Well, he's going to a, a service of remembrance and reflection for his mother in St. Anne's Cathedral. Interestingly, Alan, one of the other guests there is the newly installed Prime Minister, Liz Truss. And I think it's as much about, about Liz Truss and the tone that she and her party might take going forward. We have heard positive mood noises across the last 48, 72 hours, both from, from London and from Brussels as well. Everybody's talking again about whether or not there's this possible landing zone. I think, you know, given the circumstances around the passing of the Queen, it has led to maybe a bit of a stall. You might have expected over the last 10 days uh, some more progress, some more discussions, or at least some more statements on where we were at with Brexit and the Northern Ireland Protocol. Obviously, that will all wait until after the funeral takes place in London next Monday. But maybe that thinking time will help people, and perhaps people will be you know, of a mind and of a view to say, can we resolve this through argument rather than through dictation or the imposition of acts or the triggering of Article 16? You can never predict in politics, not just in Northern Ireland, but in Westminster as well, what's going to happen next. So I wouldn't like to put any money on it, Alan, but as a 
Pedersen of the state. I'd be hopeful. In some ways, we've travelled a great distance since the peace process, and in other ways, we haven't made too much progress. But in terms of how this visit is being received, as you said, there will be those who will be pro and anti, but how, how wide is that chasm between the two, or do you detect a sense of, you know, the people of Northern Ireland want to embrace King Charles III? I think the best way to describe it, Alan, is that those who are polar opposites of it remain in polar opposites of it. But what has changed over the last while is that there are less people on either end of that spectrum and many more people have moved towards the middle and moved towards a position of reconciliation and of, of understanding. And that's the that's the hope. I think it was Winston Churchill who talked about jaw-jaw being better than war-war. And I think that's the view that most people now know and are taken. That since the Good Friday Agreement, the 25th anniversary of which we'll celebrate in, in April, you know, it's been a very different society. And if you can sit down and talk through your problems, and rather than lift a gun or a bomb or a bullet on whatever side, then that surely that's that's the desire of any and every human being. Mm-hmm. Just before I leave it, Peter, from a personal perspective as a journalist, how are you viewing this? I mean, it's significant to the extent it's the first time, I think, in around about 80 years that we've seen a monarch set foot uh, in Northern Ireland. Uh, yes, first time we've seen a new monarch set foot in Northern Ireland. The Queen herself would have been here many times. But interesting, it'd be interesting to see, you know, how... King Charles does in the in, in the job. You know, lots of people of various different persuasions are all acknowledging that he is uh, he has a, a difficult task in order to follow his mother. You know, because she did so much, especially over the last the last twenty years, within, in an Irish context. You know, and as a, as a journalist, these are the sort of days that, that you you want to be involved in reporting on things that are that are happening. You want to see what's happening. You want to be in the centre of the action and certainly you know it's, 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 it's a day that anyone who's here will never forget for whatever their various individual reasons OK Peter thank you for joining us Peter McFerry journalist with U105 in Belfast joining us from Belfast where the King and the Queen Consort are due to land in around about an hour and 20 minutes time for a brief visit to the north to engage in various engagements and then head back to London let me just bring you a, a couple of comments around some of the issues we were discussing this morning morning. In relation to poverty, John from Navan. I'm listening and reading for the last months and months about poverty and everyone is looking for more money. Everyone looking for a dig out. And let's face it, there's not money to go around the whole lot. I can't understand all the talk about people not being able to make ends meet. Five concerts in Croke Park, 80,000 to concert, all sold out months ago. Electric picnic the same. So where is all the poverty? I had to go to Dublin Airport to leave a friend to catch a flight and couldn't get in the road into the airport. It was so packed with so many people going to and from holidays. Navin Hospital. Martin from Navin. Alan, reading between the lines, I think it's inevitable that the emergency department in Navin, as we know it, is going to close. Thomas Byrne can paint it any way which he wants. But if at the end of all of this, we no longer have an emergency department in Navin, the government TDs will have a lot to answer for. Where are the patients going to go? This is happening under their watch. It seems they are not listening to the local people who do not want to lose the emergency department. Chris via uh, Facebook, disgraceful small businesses will crumble. People put their heart and soul into creating businesses, yet greedy governments and energy suppliers are stealing it away. That jump in price is an absolute disgrace. And that was in relation to one of the items we were covering where we were seeing more and more evidence and not anecdotal evidence of people getting phenomenal electricity bills and it's putting a serious question mark over the future of the viability of their businesses. We'd like to hear if you have happened to get some of those bills and how it has affected you, not just if you're a consumer, 
but also a business. If you want to text or WhatsApp us, 86 658 Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Welcome back. Uh, just before we press on, I want to bring you some news that's coming out of the uh, Fianna Fáil thinking in Mullingar. There was some speculation yesterday around what would happen to the finance portfolio once uh, Leo Varadkar assumed the position of Taoiseach. Would it go to Fianna Fáil? Would it remain with Pascal Donoghue? Transpires, according to Micheál Martin, that he wants that parity of esteem when the Taoiseach uh, assumes the role uh, in November. And it's looking likely that Fianna Fáil will then take the uh, position uh, of Minister for Finance and that portfolio, one would imagine, will probably go to Michael McGrath. It's just some interesting news there that has uh, developed over the past uh, hour or so. Uh, one other comment around electricity bills, which came in to us on 86 658 Shirley, this was actually via Facebook, there will be no small businesses left as the government want pubs and shops gone, everyone buying online using cards, and that is how they will go to a cashless society. For uh, a trip to the shops, it's only a matter of time that they interact with other people. Last night I watched a programme and it was actually cheaper for young people to live in London. We are absolutely being ripped off and it's time to say stop. You'd wonder if this is a way for the government to force people to spend money on electric cars and their houses and changing their fuel used so Eamon Ryan can meet his target for global warming reduction. Always turn your mobile phone off. (laughs) That's what I was told before I came in here. So apologies for the interruption. was my brother looking for me, but that's neither here nor there. Let's go to our crime desk before we leave you this morning. Gar the Cape. Patterson, Community Policing Unit, Dundalk, Gartha Station. Uh, Gartha, Kate, good morning. How are you this morning? Good, Alan. How are you? Not a bother on me. Let's uh, get through this because I know time is against us. What want to talk about uh, tools which were stolen in Mornington Green Trim Thursday, 4th of August. What can you tell us about that? Yes, Alan. So Guardian Trim are investigating the theft of a number of very distinctive tools which were taken from a vehicle parked in the Mornington Green area of Trim in the early hours of Thursday, the 4th of August. So just over a month ago, um, it was the Thursday after the bank holiday weekend. The tools were in a bright green cantilever toolbox, which had a Ryanair sticker on the side. So very, very distinctive. The tools stolen included spanners, screwdrivers and hammers. All these tools were marked with the initials MG, Mike Goff, MG. Now, these items are highly specialist. They're used in aviation engineering, so they wouldn't be common in most workplaces. Um, All the tools were marked with imperial measurements. They were silver and have black or blue handles. Now, we're appealing to anybody who may have been offered these tools for sale or anybody who has seen anything suspicious in the Mornington Green area in the early hours of Thursday the 4th of August. We would ask them to get in touch with the Guardian Trim and the number there is 046-948-1540. Okay, let's go to Dundalk. More heaven and more there. An incident of criminal damage by fire on Saturday, 3rd of September. Yes, so something a wee bit more recent. Um, Just after 6am on Saturday, the 3rd of September, two homes and a caravan were seriously damaged in an arson attack in Dullargy Avenue in Mahevenamore. The damage we estimate is worth thousands of euros and local residents were extremely lucky to avoid serious injury. One male, who we believe is wearing a green khaki-coloured hoodie, made his way into Dillargy Avenue on a bike. He entered a caravan which was static in the garden of one of the homes. Um, the home was located in a small cul-de-sac and he set the caravan alight. Later that day, a male was arrested and questioned in relation to this offence and a file had been sent to the DPP. 
Gardaí, however, wished to appeal to anyone who was in the vicinity at the time who may have witnessed this attack. Perhaps they caught it on their dash cam, perhaps they recorded it on their mobile phone, or perhaps they have CCTV footage. So anybody in a position to assist, please contact on Dock Garda Station. The number there is 042-938-8400. You can contact also your local Garda Station or indeed, as always, the Garda Confidential Line. 1800-666-111 is the number for the Confidential Line. And here's something I certainly have never come across in all my years. The theft of €14,000 worth of grass seed from the Hill of Down area in County Meath. Sometime between the 9th and 12th of September. That's right, Alan. So sort of a quite a, a strange crime, as you say, something not many would have come across. Um, we've launched an investigation following the theft of what, what is 200 acres of grass seed. Now, this grass seed was taken from a farmer's yard in the Hill of Down, Kinnegad area of County Meath over the weekend, as you stated. Um, the seed is branded Tipperary Grass and it's valued, as you say, at approximately €14,000, so quite a substantial amount. Um, in Ireland, grass seed can't be sold without a Department of Agriculture label and this label details the grass seed mixture and the batch number. Now, Gardy, we are aware of the specific batch number of the seed which has been stolen. So we're asking farmers to be alert and mindful of this theft. So if they're offered grass seed for sale or if anybody has been offered a significant amount of grass seed or anyone who noticed suspicious activity in this area, that's the Hill of Down area, over the weekend, we would ask you to please contact Trim Garda Station. I'll just give the number for Trim again. Mm-hmm. It's 046 Okay, let's go back to more heaven and more. A serious assault there on Saturday 10th of September. Yeah, so the Guardians in Dundalk were investigating a very serious assault which took place in the afternoon of Saturday just past 4pm to be exact in the Glenmore area um, of Heaven and More in Dundalk. So we believe an altercation started between two males um, and one of these males subsequently received lacerations from a knife that was produced at the scene. The injured male was removed from the scene by ambulance and taken to Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda, where he received treatment for serious facial lacerations. A further male has been assisting Angarda Shikana with their inquiries, but once again we would ask anybody that may have been in the vicinity at the time or who may have witnessed this assault or captured it, again on dash cam, mobile phone or CCTV footage, we ask them please to contact Dundalk Garda Station or the Garda, Garda Confidential Line, or indeed any Garda station in the country. And just finally, before we let you go, Dundalk Garda Station is to host centenary celebrations. That's right, Alan. So this Thursday coming, the 15th of September, our centenary celebrations will kick off in Dundalk, marking 100 years since the formation of Angarda Shikona. So our celebrations will commence at 3pm. Um, a representative party of Garda, uh, Garda personnel will march from Market Square in Dundalk, uh, they'll be accompanied by the Garda Band and the Garda Ceremonial Unit. This unit will march up to the Garda Station and will be followed on arrival at the Garda Station by the planting of a ceremonial tree uh, with a wreath-laying um, ceremony. Um, this will be followed at 6pm by a display of historic and current Garda memorabilia in the Oriel Centre, which is the old jail directly mm-hmm. behind the Garda Station. So there'll be a number of guest speakers. We hope it will commence at 7pm. Um, there'll be lots of displays of Garda historical items. Um, this, item, this, this is open to everybody from 7 o'clock. Um, we would invite all members of the community to attend. Light refreshments will be served. Um, and this is just the start of our celebrations. We plan more throughout the year coming up to Christmas.
Super. We must leave it there. Gartha Kate Patterson of Dundalk Gartha Station. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Now, we're coming towards the end of the programme. I know we came to it a little bit late, but I was taken by the number of um, messages we received from the business community, not just in Drada, but further afield in relation to the, the difficulties they are facing around the cost of energy. Would you please contact us? I'd love to hear more of those stories tomorrow and maybe we would uh, have a much broader conversation around that at some point tomorrow. So if you want to text us, you can do that on 86 658 We'd love to hear from you around that. We leave it there for this morning. I'm back with you again tomorrow, same time, a little bit after nine o'clock. Until then, from me, good morning. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.